what caused the current semiconductor shortage and how do we prevent it from happening again. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The lack of enough microchips to go into cars, video games, and a host of other high-tech products has had far-reaching implications. The auto industry alone was expected to have lost some $210 billion in 2021, having had to cut back or halt production of vehicles because it couldn't get enough chips to power these computers on wheels. But manufacturers across the board have suffered dependent as they are on complex global supply chains that comprise many independent partners, many of whom are hurting for basic materials. On this episode, we explore the reasons for the current crisis with the help of Frank Cavallaro, CEO of A2 Global. We'll find out why things went wrong, whether the shortages could have been avoided, the true implications of just-in-time supply strategies, and, most importantly, what needs to be done in order for this crisis not to be repeated. Here's my conversation with Frank Cavallaro. Frank Cavallaro, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. What is the current situation as you see it with regard to the availability of microchips to the automotive industry? Well, as it relates to the automotive industry, Bob, I mean, it's pretty well documented that like a lot of other industry verticals, they're having a difficult time procuring and obtaining the semiconductors and microprocessors they need for just their daily manufacturing environment. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, they've been victim to the same trends that everyone else has. But is there any way in which this is kind of a crisis of their own making, either in failure to anticipate, failure to forecast, failure to fulfill future sales? Is there anything that could be laid at the door of the industry itself as to how it got into the situation? I don't think the automotive industry is any more or less unique to industries that have really large installed user bases. And when you have a really large installed user base, it's difficult to stay up with technology trends because you're trying to move forward as it relates to new technology and your products, but still trying to sustain the products that are in the field and in the manufacturing queue. And as you know, in automotive, that manufacturing queue can be years long. So any of these industries that have these interoperability issues, as well as long tail product lines like defense, aerospace, heavy industry, they're going to have supply chain problems when they have to continue to procure mainstream products versus moving to new products. In addition to which, though, I wonder when sales plummeted briefly during the beginning of the pandemic and they cut back on orders of microchips. Was that a short-sighted thing on their part to do? It's easy to look back and say we should have seen demand signals differently or we should have seen supply signals differently. I lumped this whole supply chain contraction issue in the semiconductor space into three buckets, right? There's the COVID implication piece. There's the actual manufacturing and supply side implication piece. And then there's external factors, right? So these are my three big buckets. From a first bucket perspective, 
as you mentioned, when the COVID pandemic really started to take hold, the manufacturers really cut back on their manufacturing supply chain. As a result, the back chain semiconductor manufacturers did the same thing. And so we saw a relative stop and start in the fabrication lines of semiconductor products. And what we just had there was a real imbalance of supply and demand information. And that imbalance was just incorrect. I think everybody got that wrong. That's not unique to the automobile manufacturers. I think that was the start of the contraction of supply in semiconductor manufacturing. Then we have the second piece, which is the overall manufacturing supply chain implications. They are also subject to their own supply chain. There are raw materials that go into their manufacturing process. There's overall fab capacity, bringing a fab up and then idling it when they don't have demand signals, and they're bringing it back up or online again, which takes several months, not days, but several months. And then you have technology advancements in that manufacturing process versus what I mentioned earlier, manufacturing for the installed user base. And then there's the overall profit motivation by semiconductor manufacturers. They want to build the latest and greatest technologies. Manufacturers like automotive that have a long-tail product life cycle, they want to stay in the current state. And so there's a, a built-in disconnect there. And then we saw the third factor, kind of the perfect storm, Bob, where we have relative natural and geopolitical and economic factors. We had water shortages. We had power shortages in the areas that manufacture semiconductors. There were weather and storm implications, geopolitical and economic factors around what gets made, where it gets made, as well as, again, profit motivation from those actual semiconductor manufacturers. So it's tough to say, going back to your original question of should they have planned differently, I think during COVID, everybody got it wrong. And then there was the absolute perfect storm of manufacturing and supply chain, not only within the product manufacturers, but the actual semiconductor manufacturers themselves. Given the fact that the demand for chips by automotive manufacturers is going to be only greater in years to come as more and more sophisticated systems get built into vehicles. Yes, we can say that certain things were beyond their control and certain things were not. But what then have they learned what are the lessons that they're drawing, you think, from the current situation that they could take forward to mitigate the impact of future such disruptions? Well, I think they've learned a lot of things. And I think the overall supply chain has also matured a lot around these really high constraint conditions. I mean, the first thing they learned is that we need better supplier and buyer information exchange. And that information exchange needs to be a lot more transparent, down to the actual base level of the semiconductor die all the way through to the finished good if we're talking about electronic vehicles. That supply chain is very complex and has a lot of interoperability of subsystems. That needs to become more transparent, and I think that is already happening. The second piece is, with the pressure of just-in-time, I think everybody forgot that with inside the true just-in-time model, as developed by Toyota, there was a level of buffer stock that was supposed to be built in for critical components. As just-in-time matured, and we had a very perfect supply chain, the idea of buffer stock seemed to evaporate. I think we'll see buffer stock come back into favor and the ability of product manufacturers to actually hold buffer stock will be seen as favorable on the balance sheet 
that will lead to future sales versus unfavorable and a drag on the balance sheet. The third piece will take care of itself. As new products get introduced by the automotive manufacturers, they will be the latest and greatest technology. And semiconductor fabrication companies or fabs uh, and the brands themselves, they are investing in new fabs that are going to build the latest and greatest technology. So that will sort of take care of itself. There'll still be a long tail on some of the hybrids we see today and some of the last generation combustion models. But we'll see that start to even out as more and more EVs or electronic vehicles get introduced with the latest technology. And that way they'll stay current in the technology curve and in lockstep with the semiconductor fabs. That last thing you mentioned is a long, long-term long play and a heavy investment play, isn't it? I mean, you stand up a new fab, what is it, about a billion dollars or something in order to do that? So, I mean, we're not looking for that to help us out in the, in the next year, are we, or in the next six months, it seems. No, that's not a short-term play. But I think the, the two previous ideas or lessons learned are something that we're seeing being put in play right now, those being mm-hmm. better information exchange and buffer stock for the future vehicles in the next, say, 18 to 36 months. And will it be the manufacturers themselves who hold that stock? Will it be on their balance sheets? Back in the day, we had the concept of vendor-managed inventory. You'd shove the inventory upstream. It would be there, but it wouldn't be on your books until you needed it. Is that kind of model not applicable for today or tomorrow? Well, that's an interesting point. At one point in time, inventory was seen as the bad thing to have or not as relevant in your day-to-day manufacturing environment. This constraint environment has left such a mark on some of the world's largest manufacturers that I think they're going to want to take more control of their supply chain. Taking more control of their supply chain may be owning some more of the inventory themselves so that they have full control and then designating that inventory to their subcontractor or their EMS provider so that they can manufacture the products for them. So we think we're going to see a mix, but we're going to see it, I think, more rely heavily on the brand themselves or the manufacturer themselves holding the inventory more from a safety perspective. I want to ask you about a new element that's in the mix. I mean, technology has been with us all along, but artificial intelligence has matured recently to a point where it may indeed probably should play an important role going forward in helping automotive manufacturers and manufacturers of all kinds better forecast, better balance, better communicate. Where do you see our AI coming into the picture in the future in a way that might help us to avoid the type of disaster we're seeing today? I think when we talk about AI, it's everywhere. It's in every environment from a technology perspective, whether it be manufacturing environment, whether it be a farming environment, whatever environments, AI is going to play a big factor in all of our lives. That said, going back to one of the earlier points I mentioned regarding information of demand-side signals and supply-side signals, that's where AI is really going to pay off for automotive manufacturers that have such an expanded demand base or customer base and also an expanded manufacturing base or EMS provider base. When they take all of those inputs and use more of decision-based or AI types of tools, they'll be able to get a clearer picture. But it only will work if they share that information with their supply base. That transparency has to come from somewhere in order to achieve what they need to achieve. Okay, there's a human element coming into it. I mean, you have the technology at your fingertips, but if you don't use it properly, it's not doing you any good, basically, right? Right. There's a human element. There's a strategy 
element as well, right? And yeah. there also has to be a meeting of the minds from a supplier-buyer perspective. Do you think that AI has matured to the point where it's sufficiently capable of doing this, or do you think there's more it needs to achieve in terms of maturation and sophistication in order to be able to get its virtual arms around this incredibly complex problem? I think AI itself or the tools related to AI are definitely mature enough. I think what may fall short, and it's going to be dependent on each individual situation and each individual corporation, where their data sets are in terms of maturity, where their data sets are in terms of integrity, cleanliness of their data, the correctness of their data, their strategy around how they want to deploy AI, as well as are they ready to undergo an AI transformation or the digitization of their supply chain. So again, we come back into that human factor. Are the tools there? The tools are absolutely there. Can they be applicable and can they help out in these situations? Tremendously. But how do we get from a tool to actual output of data that helps the supply chains run smoother, right? We can have the best hammer in the world. If we can't pick up the hammer and know how to swing it, it's just a piece of iron. So really there's a couple of moving parts there that are less reliant on the tool set and more reliant on how we apply the tool sets. More to the subject of AI maturation, however, do you see an evolution from the use of predictive AI to prescriptive AI, whereby the AI is telling you what to do as opposed to presenting you with the information that you need to make a decision based on that? I think we're there. I think we're there, whether really? it be predictive or prescriptive. I think we are there as far as tool sets go. I think the data integrity piece will hold a lot of people back. Now, if you tie this to the question of diversifying your vendor base, which I, I guess you would agree is another lesson to be learned by companies that relied too much on single source suppliers, good idea in terms of risk mitigation, but does that not also to a degree dilute the relationship with a supplier because you're giving it less of your business and they may be less motivated to want to share information and collaborate with you in a way that they did before when they were your sole source of a particular part. I think that's right. I think there's a fine line or it's a double-edged sword. You want to have diversification because with diversification comes risk mitigation. That said, too much diversification and you get lost in the numbers game as far as profit motivation from the supplier. Right? You're just not high enough up on their ladder. I think as we move forward into next generation products that come to market, whether they're electronic vehicles or any kind of automation in manufacturing or automation or software-related tools that we'll use in day-to-day -day life, we need to be designing for advancements so that the, you're always staying current with the latest fabs. If you're staying current with the latest fab semiconductor fabrication models, then you'll have a better supply chain discussion with them because you'll be more relevant to them because they want to proliferate that the latest and greatest technology. But just sitting back and saying diversification overall, that will be a tough play as far as it relates to gaining any kind of mind share with the supply base. On top of which, what you just said about the rapid evolution of chip technology shows no sign of slowing down. Certainly, I guess you don't want to build up huge amounts of buffer stock of a type of chip that's going to be obsolete in two years. You have to be careful about that, not, not well, starting. I mean, you want the buffer stock, but what the heck? I mean, it's going to be obsolete, right, after a certain point? That's why we need to rely more on those AI tools you were talking about. And those will be the prescriptive mm -hmm. tools that you had mentioned. 
where the tools themselves or the software algorithm themselves will tell you what kind of buffer stock is optimal for manufacturing and risk mitigation. And those tools exist. They just need to have the right data sets in order to focus the supply chain professionals to make the right buy decisions. So bottom line, Frank, in terms of all we're talking here about advances in technology and new ideas, supply chain management based on lessons learned, are you optimistic that we can avoid in future, in automotive or other any type of manufacturing industry today, a disaster of this proportion that will do a better job of mitigating the impact of future disasters based on all we've been talking about today? I am. I'm optimistic. It will take another 18 to 36 months to have this all the way worked through. In the background of all this, Bob, there is also a logistics constraint situation that even if you had the supply available, it's tough to move it around, right? We're seeing that mm -hmm. shipping lanes, air freight lanes, even all of that. I mean, truly, it's the perfect storm. Truly, it's the perfect storm of supply chain logistics all wrapped up into one. But if you go back to the core elements of what makes the supply chain more resilient to any kind of hiccup, whether it be oversupply or undersupply, it's good information exchange between buyers and sellers. Right? It's having the right inventory yeah. you need at the right place. So that goes into the supply chain tools as AIs. And it's designing for X, right? Designed for technology advancements, designed for replacement, designed for sustaining of your installed user base. Those are tried and true methodologies that got lost in the shuffle somewhere along the way. And it started with the, the snowball of COVID, and that snowball kept getting larger and larger and larger as we moved through the, the year or 18 months since the, the first downturn. Well, that's great advice. Let's hope that these manufacturers follow it and they're able to avoid future disasters, or at least of a, a, a scale that we're seeing today. Frank Cavallaro of A2 Global, I want to thank you so much for helping me to understand the complexities of this situation and, and possible solutions for future. Thank you very much for being with me today. Bob, thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Frank Cavallaro of A2 Global, talking about how to avoid future supply chain shortages. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.